Yes, you can make money investing. And no, it's not gambling. Tune in today and we're going to share all the tools, all the deep dives into the information you need to learn how to maximize your money in the investment universe. It's Brian Preston, the money guy, restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Brian, so I'm so, so, so stoked about this one. And this is why. Okay, so we've done a lot of you, shows. You've seen Intern Daniel's slides, well, that's why. I know that. I've done that. But th this is why. You know, we've done a lot of shows talking about how much you should be saving, how you should be saving, da-da-da. And we always have this thing. That we say, okay, if you're in your 20s, we think you can earn 10%. If you're in your 30s, 9 If you're in your 40s, 8 If you're in your 50s, 6 yada, yada, yada. We have gotten so much blowback from that. Because, whoa, where are you guys getting these rates of return? Where is that coming from? They all climb out from under their bridges That's and they right. go, oh, hum, let's talk about the low performance. That you was know, his troll voice, if you didn't know. That was that a was, troll voice. That was his troll voice. But it, it is, it, Bo is, Bo is spot on, is that every time we talk about investing, b besides the people that want to tell you to do Bitcoin and gold, <laughs> right. they're, they're going to come out. I don't know. They're, are they guarding bridges or are they kind of flying out of the sky, you know, and dropping down and telling you what to invest in? But there are. There are a lot of people. I want to address some of that. Yep. I want to kind of jump in. And I don't like, because I think there's a lot of financial voices out there that just say, this is the number. I like to kind of do deep dives and provide some education, some foundational yep. knowledge so you can actually use this information for your benefit. So the first thing I kind of like to talk into talk about is quick, let's talk about some basic long-term numbers. Yep, perfect. The first one is that U.S. stock market. Mm -hmm. Now, I tell people in your 20s, you can count on about 10%. Now, where in the world is that number coming from? Because we're not crazy enough to just make it up. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about, here's the thing. Since the 20s, you can track the performance of the S&P 500, which is the 500 largest U.S. companies in the United States, and see how their performance has been. So let me give you a taste of what that means. Looking at just the last 10 years, now realize that is... That's kind of a cherry picking if you think about it in terms of we came through the Great Recession right. that ended in March of 2009. Fast forward 10 years, probably means it's going to have been a good 10 yeah, years. And sure enough, it's been 13% per year mm -hmm. for the last 10 years. But that's because we came out of a bear market. What is the historical average? It's right around 10% per year. 10.3, I think, is somewhere in that ballpark. And you can go look on any kind of website and go data check that. It's, it's there. It's, it's about 10%. It's about 10%. Bonds, which we know are much more conservative. Mm -hmm. You know, right now, the U.S. 10-year Treasury is yielding right around 2.05, 2.06. Right. But the performance for, since 1926 is somewhere between 5 and 6% per year. That's the total return. Because remember, there are two components to return on bonds. There's an income return and there's appreciation return. So 2.06 is the current income return. If you're trading, but you know yeah. it's one of those things where you have to pay attention to those right. things. So we, if those are the long-term performances, we've given the numbers of the show over. No. Yeah, that's the end. You know, See you because there's week. a lot more. This is where, let's talk about if we know the markets will generate 10% for you if you're just doing the equity marketplace. We know that bonds will do 5 to 6%. Why is the average investor... What are they getting, and why are they not getting what the market is? So, Bo, what's the slide? I know there's some information out there. Understanding the impact of behavior 
and the psychology of your behavior now, on performance. Whenever I think about investor psychology, investor behavior, a word immediately comes to mind, and that's Dalbar. They're yeah. a group out there that does a study every year looking at how the average investor performs when you look at that relative to just broad indexes, broad markets. And what we think is amazing is if you look at 2018, the average investor lost 9.5% in the year 2018. Because remember, fourth quarter 2018, market was, was down bad. 20%, right? right so right. the average investor in 2018 lost 9.4%. Well, if you just look at the S&P 500, just that broad S&P index, it was only down about 4.4%. For the full year. Now, For realize year. fourth quarter was close to a 20% loss. And and realize we're pulling this data from Dalbar, but they have every year they do the quantitative analysis of investor behavior. Right. I like saying that acronym because it makes me sound really smart. It does make you sound smart. But it very is one smart. of those things. And we want to give them a shout out because we'll retweet them. We'll yep. let them know we're using their data because it is great stuff that I look forward to. Keep going though, Bo. What happens over the last 20 years? Now realize this data is not as of 2018. I think when intern Daniel told me it's into 2015. That's right. But it's still they, good data. They, I think they actually keep some of their studies behind paywalls. But the last data that we were able to pull was from 2015. Over the last 20 years, so from 1996 through 2015, the average investor made about 5% per year, a little over 5.2. If that investor would have instead just stayed the course, put in the S&P 500, the boring slow way, the average S&P return over that 20-year period was almost 9.9% per year over a 20-year period. Once again, right around that 10% that we've That's talked right. about yep. for our 20-year-olds. Now, so you're looking at these, these two stats, and you're going, why in the world, if it's so easy as just buying the index, where's the underperformance? And, and typically, it's because people are outsmarting themselves. They're either trying to outperform, yep. or they're getting scared, and they're making horrible financial decisions right. on the timing of when they're in the market or out of the market. And here's the other thing I think is interesting. So many of our commenters are saying, this market's at the top. It's got to be. It's, it's got to be at the top. So I'm just going to stay on the sidelines. I'm not doing this. I'm going to do Bitcoin and gold because this thing's at the top. But there's a quote that you put in. We brought up in the, the show planning by Peter Lynch. What is what is that quote? Yeah, so Peter Lynch is a fantastic money manager. He said this quote. says, far more money has been lost by investors trying to anticipate corrections than lost in the corrections themselves. So you lose more trying to avoid it than you would do if you just went through it and were able to stomach the pain and make it through on the other end. So let's talk about because this is something if we you know if you're going to become good at investing, you have to understand that every because we've done this stat before too. I mean, typically twice every decade there's going to be a recession. Yep, that's right. So that means the economic cycle is going to go through the process. And you don't have to just follow my finger that I'm doing on camera. But show them what the economic market cycle looks like. Look at this, the cycle of market emotions. And I love what intern Daniel did here. I mean, I put I put this thing in the show notes as Daniel's masterpiece slide. Daniel's master, because, intern Daniel's masterpiece. Because look at this. Here's the thing is that you see this. This is pretty much, you see this out there everywhere where it starts at the beginning, optimism. Everybody thinks they're genius with money. M market's going up, my account's growing, I like it. So you go from optimism, which is that nice shade of blue. Mm -hmm. You're starting to make money, exactly what you said. So the excitement kicks in. It's no different than the roller coaster that, that Daniel's put on the slide because you're tick, 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 tick. And then you hit the thrill. Then the top, the tippity top of the roller coaster ride, the cycle of market emotions. 
is the euphoria because you're at the top, you're looking down, you're making money, you're going to cocktail parties, you're telling your, your cousins, you're telling your sisters, you're telling everybody how smart you are with your investing. And you can see we even put how, wow, I'm so smart at this. I got to believe, Ron, and you were actually managing money back then. I got to believe in the dot-com bubble in the late 90s, right there at the 2000, yep. turn of the century. I have to believe this is the conversation. Hey, let me tell you about this internet stock. Hey, let me tell you about this thing that I found that's just world changing. I'm such a genius that I spotted it before everybody else. It was a weird time to be an investor because if you were just doing normal asset management and you're doing the S&P 500 as your large cap and you're still like in 1998 making 26% or something like that, you were underperforming all these internet stocks that were out there because people were like, 28%? Who wants 28 when I can go buy this technology fund and I'll make 75% next year? And I know we look at those numbers and we think that is insane, but that is what we were facing back then. So that is the euphoria. And I think it's a key point that we always point out. That's the point of maximum financial risk. That's That's when you got to be careful. And look, there's a lot of people. We are hitting all-time highs right now. My spidey senses also peak up when we're doing this, but does that mean you need to sell? Because this is what we are if the commenters out there are right and we are about to face a downturn. Let's talk about what that means as we go down the hill. You guys, most people who are investing who don't understand how these cycles of market emotions work, they're going to start to experience anxiety. But but they say but they say okay, but I can handle this. I'm a little yeah, I I'll can, double down. I'll double down. Double this down. Okay. I'll put we'll more money right. at it. I'm fear, I'm okay. Desperation panic. And I love that Daniel put this thing. Look what happens when you get down to capitulation and and the red. When it turns red, you go, oh my goodness. Oh my God. Why why am I in this? How did I get into this situation? And then you hit straight up depression. This is, and this is what I love is that when you call the, when you get to these bottom moments, this is when people say, Lord, if you'll just let me out of this, I'll never do another equity holding for the rest of my life because it has hurt you so bad emotionally. But what I think is interesting, the contrarian in you, when everybody else is trying to run out of the theater, you should be trying to run in because that's your maximum point of financial opportunity. When everybody else is saying, I will never, ever buy into the stock market again, is actually when you're getting the best valuations, the best opportunities. Uh, and, and what I think is so interesting is you notice when we come out of that, you hit the hope and then the relief. And then we and repeat the, the process. And it starts over. It is rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat. And if you rinse and repeat the wrong way, you don't end up in the place you but want. But a lot of you are watching this go, so Brian, you're confirming the fact that this thing is just an up and down cycle. Up and down. No. Because here's the analogy I also want to add to you that we don't have a slide for this, but it's something that I've talked about every time we face a downturn. All economic cycles is you walking up a mountain or a hill with a yo-yo, meaning that the market cycle, yes, is going up and down, but you're constantly going to higher Higher elevation because the natural state of the economy is growth. Mm -hmm. Just so you you guys need to understand this. This is not a zero-sum game where it's either going up, but it's always going to come back down the equal amount, and then it's going to go up, but it's always going to come back down to zero. So we're always at flat. So you need to figure out when I time to buy and when time to sell. So I buy low, sell high, and make money. That's a spell. That is just not what it is. This thing is getting bigger. Your pizza pie, it starts at this size, but because of innovation, because of technology, because of growing global economies, that ball is getting bigger as you're walking up the hill with your yo-yo going up and down. So remember, the natural state of the economy is growth, 
not recession. We've just done research. Yep. We'll show and we'll show some later stuff. Typically, eight out of ten years, you are going to make money mm -hmm. by investing. So let, let's keep this thing going. Just don't let your mind play tricks on you. And we even have a slide that shows you that this can happen. And the way that you do this, Brian, I love the example you use. You say it all the time. It is this yo-yo walking up a mountain. Well. What you have to do is you have to figure out how long can your yo-yo string be. Yeah. That's how much risk you take. If you need a short yo-yo string, yeah. that's okay. You need to have a portfolio that reflects that. If you're okay with a longer yo-yo string, that works too. Well, we want to show you no matter how long or short your yo-yo string is, what does that path look like? And so we actually have this great illustration, Brian, and we used to show this a lot back in 2009, 2010, 2011. Yep. We haven't had to show it as much recently because things have, have been pretty good. But what we named this is we called this playing the odds, yep. right? If you want to think about investing as gambling, which it's not, we ought to look at what, how, do you, how does it stage? How does it, how does it stand up? So when you look at this, what this shows is each one of these colored lines, these dotted lines, is an individual bull market that we've seen since 1953. And what you can see along the x-axis is how many weeks it lasted. They and last the, a while. And the y-axis is the rate of return. So you can see these things are pretty steep. I mean, they go pretty high on a rate of return standpoint. And then they also last for a long time. When the market's good, Years. we've seen this really over the last decade, sort of since the Great Recession. So look at how long these lines, I always like the visual of this, is, and you can see the one we're in most recently went from 2009 all the way to 2018, yep. but that's not the only one. There's been other ones that do last four, five, six, seven years. Right. This stuff, but this is, because I want to show you the other side in a second where it shows you how negative, miserable creatures humans are. Is because if you look at this stat and some other stats we're going to show you, it shows you how positive and how great an opportunity it is to be an investor. Yep. But I'm going to flip the script and we're going to look at this is bull market. So this is the good times when you're actually making your money that eight out of 10 mm -hmm. years. Let me show you. Pay attention to the length of time. Now flip the script, Bo. Let's talk, show them a bear. D d Whoa, wait a minute. What, what happened? Wait a minute. The Whoa. bear markets. Look how short those are. The worst ones is like the dot-com bubble that started in like March of 2000 and went all the way through November of 2002. But that's even like two years. Yep. I just showed you slides where we had weeks, years, close to a decade of a bull market. Flip the script over to a bear. I'm like, what are we so scared of? That's right. What are we so scared of when you see how short bear markets? But that's how we were, as humans remember pain much more right. than we remember the good stuff that happens. So just always be careful of locking yourself into the negativity of thinking that you can't make money in investing. You said it right, Brian. You have to retrain your mindset. Uh, Ruby, if you don't mind, I'm going to flip back and forth real quick. So bring the screen up. Just again, visually, just drink this in. This is what the bull markets look like. This is what the bear markets look like. If you're going to be an investor, are you more concerned about the bear or are you more excited about the bull I know which camp I fall into. There's a lot of empty screen. There's a right? lot of empty screen right there. <laughs> so, but this led me to the next thing that I thought was interesting is that there is, I always like to give pop culture references. Right. Because a lot of you guys, you're, you're hearing, you heard that, and you, that probably hit you a little bit. And you're like, man, okay, so sh the downturns are much shorter lived than the long turns. But how do I, I mean, how do you make it through downturns? Because mm -hmm. it's still going to be hard on me emotionally. There's got to be a skill set. There's got to be something I can do. So I have a pop culture reference. Go, Bo, go ahead and pull it up. I want to show, this is this is a movie that was very popular. Um, look, I probably should have pulled up the year. This came out, I was in high school. 
So this is probably late 80s, early 90s. Okay, yeah. Days of Thunder with Tom Cruise, Robert Duvall, Nicole Kidman, and then um, who's on Cousin Eddie? Randy um, Quaid. Randy Quaid. Yeah. I mean, all these people. You would think... Is this an is this an Oscar, Oscar? award winning movie? No, this is a NASCAR movie, <laughs> and and here's why this is this has got a great teachable concept, but it also has a personal connection to me. Yes. Is that realize all through high school, I worked as a crew leader at Hardee's, mm-hmm. and in the one of the summers that I worked at Hardee's, we were the official sponsor of Days of Thunder. Yeah. So I asked the team. I said, "Look, I had to wear this green hat." That whole summer that said Days of Thunder. And there's a whole point. Uh-huh. Y'all, bear with me. There's a point to all this. Go, show, go ahead and show Yeah, we what, actually were able to go so back. So we're smart enough. We were able we're, to go back and find a picture of you <laughs> as Crow Leader back in the late 80s, early 90s. So there he is. There he is. That there. is the hat. We were able to find the hat on Etsy. And it, but this is it does have the teachable moment because here let's talk about what the whole premise of Days of Thunder was. Is that you have Cole Trickle which is played by Tom Cruise. You know, it just came out came out that they go remake you know, Top Gun. Right. I don't know if they're reprising the role of Days of Thunder <laughs> and Cole Trickle, but, I don't know if it's but Tom Cruise was this young hotshot driver who was starting to have some victories, starting to have some wins, kind of like you probably as a starting investor. If you started any time after 2008, you're starting to have some victories, starting to have some wins. But guess what? He gets into a bad car accident. It goes through his whole rehab. That's where he meets his beautiful ginger of Nicole Kidman, and they start dating. You know, and it's this beautiful love story that ended up in this weird relationship and real world that ended up divorced. But well, getting back on the point, I know, I'll bring it back to the financial concept. But anyway, so they, he goes through this rehab, and, and when he gets back in the car, he, he's found out that he can't win anymore right. because now he's scared. He's yes. fearful. Yep. And so Robert Dufault... Robert Duvall, who's Harry, his crew leader, says, look, when you see smoke, this is what you're going to have to do, Cole. You're going to have to drive through it. And so drive through it is what I want you guys to understand. When you start investing, and this is going a long way just so y'all can see me in this ugly green hat. You have to understand that in the crux of the movie is, is that when he makes it through, he goes, Harry, I made it through it. I'm through it, Harry. You know, so it's one of those things is a very traumatic you know, by the way, Rebe watched the clip. She said it was not half. I did a much better job of hyping it than the actual movie did. That's probably why I didn't get the Academy Award. But it is, when you see smoke, drive through it. Yep. And how are you going to do that? Here's the investment concept I want you to understand is that dollar cost averaging is your best friend right. as a young person. Here's what I think is interesting, and we're going to have a slide in a second that kind of makes my point. A lot of you young investors... You're trying to call the top of the market, and you're thinking, I'll just time this thing. If you're a young investor, you should hope. You should sit at home at night and be like, man, I hope that downturn's coming next week. I hope that downturn, it comes, and I hope we just, this market drags bottom for the next six years. I mean, I know you're you're rooting against your parents, you're rooting against your grandparents, but this is what you should hope for. Because the truth of the matter is when you're a young investor, when you have 20 years, 30 years, 40 years before you retire, you're probably not putting in a lump sum of money. You're probably working for a company or you're funding your Roth IRA and you're doing it on a monthly basis. So you're buying every month. So facing a downturn or an economy where the market is dropping over time is the best thing in the world for you because guess what you're doing every month? You're buying into that downturn. That's right. You keep buying more and more and more shares. So then when the market hits its recovery mode and starts going up, 
Guess what? All those shares you bought you loaded up. are loaded. And we have a perfect case study to kind of show you what happens when you're using this type of slide. So what, again, what we thought was, you know, uh, we ought to use a real life example. So we talked a little bit about the Great Recession. Well, let's go back to even the one before the Great Recession. Yeah. Let's talk about the big one, the Big Daddy. Great Depression. The Great Depression. Now, this is a fantastic slide. What this shows is that if you look at where the Dow was on September 3rd of 1929, it was at 381. And then on November 23rd of 1954, it was at 383. So can we I, got Can I hit the points. pause button? 1929, the Dow Jones was at 381. We're at 27,000 <laughs> right now. And you know there were people back in 1929 be like, can you believe it's at 381? <laughs> is this thing thousand? Thousands, be crazy. This we're at 27,000 now. It just shows how that, remember I was talking about that pie grows? This is not a zero-sum game. That's right. We will be talking, there will be a time in the future, we're looking at 27,000 on the Dow. There will be a time in the future where it will be 100,000. That's right. Mark my words, but keep going. I'm sorry. So here, here's what you had. If you would have put a dollar to the Dow on September 3rd of 1929, that dollar would have been about worth a dollar. What was that? Almost 25 years it's, later. It's horrible. Right? I mean, that is bad. That is about as bad as it can get. If you can invest in September of 29, of 1929, and it's not worth anymore in November of 1954, mm -hmm. That's an entire work. I mean, think about it. You worked for 25, 30, 35 years. You've spent your entire working life not making money in theory. That's right. But that's not what's happening because we are a financial mutant. You're Even though the market is falling, every year you're putting $10,000 into the market. Look at what this slide shows you. Even though the market was going down exactly like the visual I was trying to explain, you're actually making... Eleven, your ten thousand dollars a year, where you put twenty six total of two hundred sixty thousand dollars in, is now worth one and a half million dollars, right. or you average eleven point seven percent per year. I'm going to say return. it a little bit. Someone who started investing, someone who began their investing journey at the world's worst time, the top of the beginning before the Great Depression had an almost 12% rate of return in the 25 years following the Great Depression. It's unbelievable. It's remarkable. It just shows exactly how valuable dollar cost averaging can be. Bad stuff can be your friend That's if right. you're a young person. So drive through it. I'm telling you, when you see smoke, drive through it and think about me in that green, fluorescent, hot, fluorescent green hat, and you know you too can make it. So now let's talk about when is random... Not really random. Because if you think of, I mean, the stock market, it, it seems to be random, right? And if you talk to someone who hasn't been investing for a while or doesn't know a lot about it, they, again, they equate it to gambling. Like, okay, I guess it's chance. I guess it's Way flipping. too many people. And I get it. I mean, I think when you look at the raw data, which we're going to visually mm -hmm. show you, a lot of people will say, man, how is there anything systematic? How is there anything that you can measure and count on in the long term from that craziness. Yep. And it makes sense. So, I mean, kind of walk them through it. So though. this is a brainchild of ours, Brian, because we really wanted to figure out how we could depict and how we could show this. So we went and pulled some data, and this is how we have it laid out. We said, if we look at a 60-40 portfolio, and for the 60, we just use the S&P 500, and for the 40, we just use the 10-year T-bond, right? Okay. So just indices here. From 1953 and all the way through the end of 2018, what did that portfolio return on a year-by-year -year basis? So you can actually see all the years shown there. There's a 1953 at the, right at the zero line, a 54 up there close to 35. Every single year, 
is a year. That kind of goes. Well, and and look, saying. there's also an average there. I see right next to the orange line. There's nine point three one. Nine point five. Nine point five one. I'm getting older, so I don't see distances <laughs> as well. But there's nine point close to nine and a half percent. But everything when you visually look at this looks like it's random. It's there's a, a lot plot. of them yep. that are below the line. There's a lot that are above the line. It is hard to make anything that seems rational and, and out of this pattern. What I'll even add to that is it's amazing how few years actually fall on the line. Yeah. For, uh, for a period of time, a 65-year period of time. It looks like maybe four. Average return <clears throat> is nine and a half. It doesn't seem all that average at all. So we said, okay, well, what happens if we stretch this out a little bit? Rather than looking at it on a year-by-year basis, what if we look at it on a three-year rolling basis. Oh, wow. Look at just in three years, this line is starting. It's still, it looks, it looks more like a wave, Mm -hmm. but it's not as random. It's not like you just threw darts at a sheet of paper. Now it's starting to look like a wave, almost like that market um, that I was talking about where economics go through cycles. Now, the other thing I love about this, just from a behavioral standpoint, just stretching it out three years, Looking at this data, there are only three periods, 1974. That's amazing. Ending in 74, ending in 75, and ending in 02, where the market over three-year running periods was below zero. Where yeah, you that's, a, lost that's money a great point. There's quarter. not many that are actually below zero when you look at them on a three-year basis. But we know that when we talk about investing, we don't just talk about doing it over three years. We said, what happens if we stretch this out and look at it over five years? So now this is wow. the same data over five-year rolling returns. If you're listening to this on the podcast, this is more reason I do want to encourage you. We try to make sure our content is very digestible, both audio side as well as video. But this is one that you're probably going to want to go pull up yep. the video on this and you can look at the highlight because it is amazing. Look at this. The five-year average, bow is still over 9%. 9.07. But there's not a single year, because it's a 60-40 split, it's from 1953 to, to the end of the, the 2018-2017 period, that it went negative. That's, That's right. pretty powerful information. Dare I say this is looking a lot less and less random. So then we said, okay, well, now let's stretch out to actually being long-term. What if we look at it on a 10-year basis from 1953 all the way through the end of 2018? Look, the average still stays 8.98%. Well, now, Brian, this does look a lot like that market cycle, market yeah, cycle emotions that we showed. Again, no, no downers, and, and it all compresses around that average. And then we said, okay, well, now let's start talking about like a working career. Let's start talking about some real time. If we look at this on a 20-year rolling basis, wow. holy cow. That's powerful stuff. You know, it you really can see does th- consolidate on that line right in the middle. There's some variation, right? I mean, it depends on what cycle you're in, but this doesn't really look all that random to me at all. It looks like there actually is some rhyme and reason to what the market does over the long period of time. Big difference between, look at this, from the one-year basis versus 20-year basis. And that's why we tell you, if you're going to do investing, it's not a one-year decision. It's not a two-year decision. It's really, you need to be a long-term investor where it's five to seven years at a minimum that you can walk away from the money. That way you don't get caught in a bad market cycle. Because how many times, Brian, I remember when we were both younger, we used to do this. We'd tell our friends, hey, you got to go do a Roth. It's so exciting. And they would go max out a Roth one year, and they might have just happened to do it in 2007. Yeah. Or they might have done it at the beginning. of the, And then the market tanks. I'm like, oh, why did you tell me to do this investment? Well, they did half of it right. They started investing, but they did not keep investing. And that's exactly right, Brian. You have to 
can, it's it's a process you continue to participate in, not a one and done type of event. So make sure you drive through it, go power through those dark times because we're going to show you one more stat that I think if you walk through this chart, it's so powerful because it now puts numbers to exactly what we're talking about. If you were trying to put statistics to how often markets go up mm-hmm. on a one day basis, yep. one month basis, one year, so so far out. What does it actually show you? Yeah, so we actually ripped this from one of our previous shows. You can go listen to that. But this is the frequency of S&P rolling periods. And this is, actually goes from 1969 all the way through 2018 on a one-day basis, right? Well, I have to put – the reason this has got the Abound Wealth logo is oh, we, yeah, yeah, do, yeah. we do private commentary. And cr- every quarter we do a video commentary. This is actually one of the slides we used yep. in the, the video commentary. So if you are a client of Abound Wealth, maybe you're part of the Money Guy family and you take it to the next level mm-hmm. – this is one of those side benefits that we try to keep you inside information that's, right. that, that's not out there for everybody. But we, we like this so much, we decided, you know what, let's let them see behind the curtain and see this great research piece. That's right. So on a one-day basis, day by day, about 53% of the time, the market is positive. If, yep. we, if we stretch that out to one week, about 57% of the time on a weekly basis, the S&P 500 would be positive. If we go out to one month, now we are 62% of months from Amazing. 1969 through 2018 were positive. One year, this ties all the time, Brian. You always say this about eight, eight out, of, out 10 of 10 years. years. The market is up. This shows it for a fact. 80% of the time, the market is up. On a five-year basis, it goes up to nine. Now, remember, we showed you the 60-40 on that missing the mark slide. This is just the S&P 500. Because we, we diversify for our clients. So this is it's going to get even better when you add diversification. But still, even with an aggressive portfolio of just the S&P 500, five years, 89% of the time, you're making money. That's right. On a 10-year basis, we are up to 95% of the time. And then 15 years... Yahtzee, bingo, we hit one. Every one of you guys that is in your 20s and 30s who are writing comments on YouTube where you're saying, why would I buy into this high price market? I want you to see that. Even if you are the Bob, the world's worst investor, mm-hmm. and you're buying at the tippity top, say you're right and the market's going to crash next week because you have the perfect crystal ball. This is showing you, we fast forward, because remember, you're not retiring. If you're in your 20s and 30s, you're not really touching that money until your 50s, 60s, right. 70s. you got 20, 30, 40 years before you can touch the money. All you have to wait is 15 years, and there's pretty much 100% of the time you're still going to make money in the long yep. term. That is one more reason that the lazy, boring investor wins. you just got to drive through the smoke Put the money to work, and it does the rest for you. This is what I love, Brian. You didn't say you have to go analyze the stocks. You didn't have to pick the right one. You didn't have to get the price to earnings right. You didn't have to buy at the right time and sell. It wasn't complicated. It was actually frustratingly simple how to set yourself up to be a successful investor. Being wealthy is simple. It's, it's all behavioral. Will you do the right steps? And, and what it breaks my heart, because I grew up in this type of household, is the person that is good enough with money that they can save, mm-hmm. but they just never let the army of dollar bills actually do the hard work. Right. If you can save money, you've got the hardest part of the equation done. You just now need to unleash the power of compounding interest and let your army of dollar bills actually do the work. Right. So now we're at a transition point. You're hearing all this. We got you motivated. We got you excited. You're saying, you know what? I do want to be an investor. I want to do this. What do I do? What's mm-hmm. the game plan? What's the plan of attack? What's the next step and how should I choose this? Yep. So I want to we're going to give you some of that guidance but I also want to walk you through things you need to be careful of because 
the financial media industry has got this horrible habit of leading you astray. Mm -hmm. If they're not trying to scare the heck out of you, because they know you'll remember that and keeps eyeballs so they can sell ads right. and you know and, and keeps you there. They're trying to mislead you because they have to have content. So the first thing you'll see is you'll see, should you invest in the best performer? Yeah, because it, and it, it is so easy to go out there and find a magazine cover that says, the top X funds of year X. or yeah. It could even y be the quarter. Technology funds of second quarter of 2019. And you'll be like, whoo, should I go buy those? Why Bitcoin is the future of investing. Why this stock is what Google was 50... You see that all over the place. We are inundated with that kind of information coming to us. And, you know, realistically, if something really was the amazing thing, if it really was the top performer, it really has done so, so good, what do you think happens if you're buying it after everyone already thinks it's the best? It's the yeah. criminal. That's what we saw in the 2000 in the dot-com bubble bursting. It is, it's true. And I call it chasing the hot dot. You do not want to be a chase the hot dot investor. You know, there's actually, we don't have to keep up with this because there's actually a group, Spiva, which mm -hmm. is Standard & Poor's, which of course is the index. They actually track how many actively managed funds outperform the straight up index. Yep. I will tell you, it's abysmal. The most active management has trouble beating the straight up S&P 500. Yep. It's typically historically around 75% get beat. But then they bring up the point that, okay, so there's probably is 20 to 25% that on a year over year basis is outperforming the index. Mm -hmm. So those are good managers, right? And a lot of people take that and say, okay, well, all I have to be is good enough to pick the top 25%. Yeah, I just got to be one in four chances. I'll go pick an advisor. I mean, I'll pick a fund that's going to be better than the index. The problem is... How consistent are they? That's What's right. the you know, perseverance that they actually do this consistently yep. year over year? So here's the research. Out of 550 domestic equity funds that were in the top quartile as of September 2016, only 7.9% managed to stay in the top quartile at the end of September 2018. So I'm, I'm going to say that again. So if they were in the top 25% in 2016, only 7% of those were still in the top in 2018. So it was about 93% fell off. And then listen to this. We just go out a little longer on the time frame to March of 2018. I mean, if we brought it back to March of 2018, because there was some market volatility uh -huh. and other things in there, it was only 2.33%. I would go even further than that and say it wasn't just market volatility, Brian. The fourth quarter of 2018 things got really scary, yeah. right? Yeah. Things got really scary. This doesn't even factor in how many managers probably didn't make it through that really, really well. <laughs> That's a great You know point. what I mean? This is this is people just managing, like, well, I think it's Warren Buffett who always says, uh, when the tide goes out, that's when you see who's skinny dipping. Yeah. This shows that even in a really robust, really strong bull market, active managers don't have the edge. When volatility enters, it gets even worse, which I think is worth noting. So it goes back to something we've already talked about on the show is that the hard part is you need to focus on the habit of saving more than choosing the best investment right. because analysis paralysis is a true thing yep. that struggles, a lot of people struggle with. But then also, once you've got a healthy savings habit, you've done the hard part. Right. So just let the money work. And we're going to talk about now, what is that hard part? How mm -hmm. do you make the money work the best for you? You live in the absolute best time to be an investor. Back when I first started coming out and investing myself, I mean, it was a mess. Mm -hmm. Back in the middle 90s, yes, the stock market was way up, 
but it was not as transparent and easy to be an investor. Was the very first thing you ever invested in an S&P 500 index fund? No, because I didn't know. Truthfully, it would have been hard to buy an index fund in the, the early to mid-90s. I ended up buying a B share because I didn't know anybody. I realized I was coming out in public accounting. So I bought a B share. It had all kind of back-end mm-hmm. deferred charges. It was highly specialized. It was just not ideal with an internal expense ratio that was over 2%. Oh. There are so many stinkers built into this. Now you can buy index funds. Yep. You can do all kind of other things with much lower minimums than you had back when yep. I was originally investing. And here's the thing. We love talking about target retirement right. funds. These things didn't even exist when I first came on the market. And what a target retirement fund is, is that you choose the year you think you want to retire and then that is going to set up your asset allocations. Because if you're young and you choose a year that's 30 years out in the future, it's going to be a very aggressive portfolio. If you're choosing a year that's only two or three years in the future, it's going to be a very conservative. But what I like about these funds is for the person who should be focusing more on the behavior of saving more than the analysis of investments is that every year that they get a little bit older, maybe they need to get a little more conservative. The glide path of the target retirement fund is going to do exactly what they need to to make those changes automatically for you. I think what's so beautiful about them is it really distills the decision you have to make down to two. How much do I want to save? What year do I want to retire? Then you have to think about how much do I have in this bucket, that bucket, when do I buy, when do I sell, when do I reallocate, all that goes out of the table. You focus on the two things that matter. When do I want to retire? How much do I want to save? It's that easy. Just get to it. Start saving. Now, a lot of you are saying, well, which target retirement funds? So the biggest players, because we don't make recommendations Mm -hmm. on this show, some of the biggest players is obviously Vanguard Investments has their target retirement. Fidelity has their Fidelity Freedom Index funds, which are great. Charles Schwab offers it. Most of these, you know, all these low cost providers, those are the market leaders that you ought to at least do some due diligence on. But a lot of you, I've even had somebody ask us a question. So, Brian, you've said, though, that there are limits to target retirement Mm -hmm. funds. It's kind of like Goldilocks is that you, you know, these things are perfect while you're focusing on the behavior of saving and building your foundation of your army of dollar bills. But if they're so great, why would you say there gets to a point when you reach three or $400,000 that maybe you outgrow mm-hmm. this? So always, I put together a quick list. This just came right off the mind. It rolled right off the tongue. So here's the things of why we think you do eventually graduate from target retirement funds and probably might want to call in you know, a financial advisor sure. or somebody to help you out. Asset location for tax efficiency. Yeah, so it's not just about how you allocate or how you spread out your assets. It's actually where you hold your assets. If all you're doing is holding a target retirement fund, it's going to hold stocks and bonds and international and efficient and inefficient. Once your portfolio gets the size to where you can control which accounts you hold what type of investments in and how they are taxed, you can actually design a much more tax-efficient portfolio. Yeah, because you have, you have after-tax money, you have Roth, which yep. grows tax-free, and then you have tax-deferred, like a traditional retirement plan. It's nice if you can put the things that pay ordinary income in that tax-deferred right. account. You put the things that go grow like gangbusters. Hopefully, you put those into a Roth account yep. so you pay as little taxes as possible. Here's the next reason why we think you eventually do. We love target retirement funds, but I think you do outgrow them at some point. Loss harvesting. It's another huge one. You know, you think about what happened last year in the international market space. Internationals got kind of beat up when there was an opportunity to go sell that, harvest those losses. If all you had were a target retirement fund, you can't just go sell the international piece of it. You can't chisel it out. Rather, if you have funds that haven't performed well or if you want to do some tax strategies, if you have a design portfolio that takes that into account, you can actually go capitalize on those tax opportunities. 
Next one, capital gains avoidance strategies. Another big one, you know, a lot of asset classes and funds will distribute capital gains at the end of the year. Well, if you know what the capital gain distribution is going to be and you don't have a large embedded gain in there, you can avoid getting that tax hit with a target retirement fund. You just kind of get what's coming to you. You don't really get to adjust that. Gifting of, a, you know, if you want to do charitable gifting, I'm talking about charitable giving of appreciated holdings because there's huge tax benefits to, if you're a giver, to giving appreciated holdings. If you're just buying one fund, it, it's, it's just not as easy as if you think about it, if you had a diverse group of basket of holdings with a much more diversified portfolio, maybe if you had one that was up big time, yep. 50, 60, 70 percent over the last three or four years, you can target and give that one holding That's right. to the charity versus just giving one you know, diversified asset allocation fund like a target retirement fund. So the thing that I'm hearing, you know, I'm hearing a lot of stuff about taxes. And so somebody might say, well, Brian, hold on. Does that make sense? I've got a million dollars in a 401k and that's all I got. I can't do all this tax stuff you just talked about. Should I just do a target retirement fund or is there another benefit from like maybe additional, is there something else while still might be graduated? As you get bigger, realize we, and that's why I, I want to tell you, I think you change over time. You know, when you're simple, focus on the behavior, but as you get more successful, more sophistication comes your way. Like when you're, when you have a million dollar retirement plan, because that is usually the quickest way somebody becomes a millionaire yep. is they have these tax deferred accounts. You might need additional asset allocation. Yep. Go outside of just international, outside of just large cap and bonds. You might want to add some different asset allocation right. groups that, that give you a little more risk pr protection, as well as just account for how you look at your worldview yep. of how you want to invest. And then there's overall just more flexibility. Yep, Once absolutely. you graduate, and, and that's I, I think that's why it's important that we're one of the unique resources out there that we're saying, don't go hire a financial advisor when you save your first $50,000. Nope. You might not need it. I don't think you need a financial advisor until, because there's enough resources with podcasts, with YouTube channels, with books you can read. You probably don't need a financial advisor until you get to 250. Yep. That's, I mean, if you get build up to there, there's all kind of opportunities. I want to kind of close it out. Bo, you always do a great job. Let's summarize why people should be encouraged and not intimidated by investments of what we've covered. Yeah, you and I were talking about this before the show. We're thinking, okay, if you could just have a sentence that like just encapsulated this whole show, the whole idea we came up with, this is really what we thought. Investing is really, really easy. For sure. Until you make it hard. Yep. And unfortunately, we have an entire financial media, an entire financial landscape that tries really, really hard to make it difficult and difficult and difficult. It's easy. So long as you understand how it works, how you can set yourself up for success, you don't have to outsmart it. You just have to be in it. It's not about timing the market or figuring out the market. It's about just being in the market. And some of those key points we covered today, just to kind of recap so you can review and make sure you're taking advantage of this, the lazy, boring investor usually wins, so Love don't it. outsmart yourself. Drive through it, so even if, think about me in that green fluorescent hat, is even if you hit a downturn, if you see smoke, hit the gas and drive through yep. it, you're going to be okay. The numbers don't lie. We didn't, I mean, that's why I wanted to do a deep dive is I don't want anybody thinking that, that we're trying to just share this for the sake of getting you to invest for the sake of investing. Well, I want you just to do it because I think it's going to enrich your life and build yep. you, help you build financial independence. And then the last thing is that great Nike motto logo that they, you know, 
campaign they do, just do it. Just do it. Because it's going to help you avoid the analysis paralysis. There's a lot of smart people out there watching financial shows like this, and you're overthinking. You're looking at too many ratios. You're looking at when the timing is perfect. You're shaking your, your crystal ball. You're asking the magic eight ball. None of those things are going to do it. Just do it, and I promise 15 years in the future, you're going to look at the historical things and be like, man, I can't believe yep. I got in. There's, As we said, Peter Lynch always talks about there's so much more money lost with people worried about economic and market downturns than actually what's going to be lost in the market right. downturns. It's just ridiculous. We get asked all the time, you know, since we are investment guys, hey, what, when's a good time to start investing? We have the same answer. We give this every single time. The absolute best time to start investing was yesterday. Second best time to start investing is today. So guys, we gave you, we loaded you up with tons of intern Daniel graphs. We tried to give you a deep dive in the data because we want you to be equipped to make the right decision. So hopefully a lot of you guys, you've been listening. We've been doing this since 2006. You're like, I've done it. I've been doing exactly what these guys have said. I have been putting money in every month. I started with nothing. I love it when we get those stories from recent college graduates that are now executives and managers, self-employed, started companies, love and they're it. successful. They come to us and they say, okay, I've gotten my 250. I've gotten my 300. I've gotten my million. Yep. I've gotten my 20 million. Yep. Now, you'd be surprised who we work with now because of this show you will get to a point that you want somebody to give you a second opinion and look over your shoulder and tell you if you're doing it right. That's when I hope you'll believe in the abundance cycle, remember all this great information we gave you, and pay us back by letting us you know, think about being that advisor that works with you. We're in 39 states. 39. Carter let us know he's got two or three in some states uh -huh. that we currently don't That's have exciting. pens. I would love to come back in a month and tell you we have the Money Guy families expanded to 42 states, awesome. but we need you guys. So... Go check us out, moneyguy.com. Here's your homework, moneyguy.com. Give us your email address and your zip code so you'll know when we're in your neck of the woods. Plus, so you get these awesome deliverables. Yep. If you think Daniel's knocking it out of the park with this stuff, why not get a copy of a lot of this stuff sent to you? So go to moneyguy.com, give us your email and zip code. And then don't forget, this thing is quickly zooming. It's not going to continue to zoom unless I get you guys. We know we, we still have probably about 75% of you guys that are watchers who just don't want to commit to us. I mean, <laughs> Bo, he probably isn't bothered by that, but a guy like me that's a people pleaser, I need you guys to subscribe. Go ahead and subscribe on YouTube. You need some commitment. And then ring the bell. Ring <laughs> the bell so you get the notifications. And that's, I mean, you will make our day because we get so excited. I was so excited about having this ticker that as part of Amazon Prime Day, I put a new ticker in the main room. So when you go toward the studio, you will see we now have tickers in both locations. So we stay on track and we truly do have many celebrations every time we get new subscribers. So check us out. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all the progress, the growth, and everything we've got coming our way. And um, Brian and Bo will be back soon. So Money Guy team, out. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice. Mm -hmm.